Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Ken loves talking all about cars, past, present, and future. Here he is, that automotive nerd with the historical twist, Ken Chester. This is our number two of Roadworthy Drive. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host and automotive tour guide, Ken Chester. Thanks for dropping by. For this hour, We take a look at how DUI interlocks have and do save lives, discuss a recent state-by-state survey about reckless driving and the law, and end the hour with a conversation about the new rules of hot rodding. All that right here. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you how to connect with me and the rest of the Roadworthy Drive crew. Call or text the Roadworthy Drive line, that number, 872-222-9793. If you're the emailing type, My address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you to me and the show. Speaking of the Roadworthy Drive crew for the hour, Jack is intently monitoring the controls to make sure the program stays between the lines and on the pavement, while Mike, too, Lady Sasha, is adjusting her snark and ready to share her smart and sassy insights on the topics to be discussed. How we doing, peoples? So they're going to put new rules on my ability to hot rod through the streets? Uh, not exactly. Ah, good, good. But uh, what people are talking about relative to hot rodding and what hot rodding actually is defined as is changing. And towards the end of the hour, we'll get into just how it's changing and why. Okay. But it's, it's taking a very different look and a very different tack as uh, the people involved with hot rodding change. Because you know I have a very strong opinion about hot rods in general. Do you now? Yeah, they are an absolute disgusting dismantle of automotive history. You know what? But people have been doing it for years. Doesn't matter. You'll survive. Yes, sir. Okay. I want hazardous duty pay. (laughs) Especially after the last hour. Uh Uh, You know what? From what I understand in my meeting with the suits, um, Uh you know, that did come up. Uh, they said no, Jack. Of course they did. Um, they yeah, don't. but they, they, they gave reasons. <clears throat> I know they, they gave reasons. They Hashtag sa- reasons. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they said that, you know, time with Sasha in a studio does not necessarily involve hazard pay unless things are thrown. Well. I'm not responsible for the damage that happens to this room. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's, okay, Ken. That's what they said. What so. is in the parts bin this week? Um, I wanted to talk about something because it's a little bit different. And there's a reason for it. I wanted to talk about the all-new 2019 BMW X5 Sports Activity Vehicle. The what? What? BMW X5. They call it an SAV, which is their their twist on an SUV. I caught that. Wait a minute. That's what Wait they call it. The X5 is already an SUV, isn't it? Yes, it is. But they're uh, It is it- the new generation. They've always called it that. Yeah. They always no, no, no. The last 20 years. S-A-V. They've always called it that. Really? Yes. But you're missing the point. Of course I am. Uh, In today's world, um, with all the tough talk about tariffs, Mm -hmm. um, the X5 could be impacted, but not the way you think. Okay. Um, What if I told you it wasn't imported? I would not be shocked by this. It's not because it's built someplace down south. Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yep. 
Um, and in fact, 70% of what they build at Spartanburg mm-hmm. is exported from the United States. Okay, but you're saying the vehicle itself is manufactured. Manufactured, okay. not just assembled. Right. Sasha. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just want to make that clear. So are the... What is its content of U.S. Canadian? And you were gonna, you were gonna ask me that. I knew you were gonna ask yes. me that, and I decided not to look that up. Oh, see, look at that. But I knew you were gonna ask Willfully me that. Willfully denying did. me the information. I did because here's my thing: if they're assuming that the terrorists are not going to affect this car, they would also have to put in the fact that how much of this car is coming from a. But you're missing the point. Of course, I am. A complete, a complete. A complete vehicle being exported from the United States are going to be affected tariffs, but mm-hmm. not on the U.S. side, on the Europe side, trying to export them to Europe. Yeah, Jack. Sasha? Yes, sir. There's this newfangled thing called Google. Why what? don't you Why don't you Google oh, you know what? Yeah. that information and then tell us in a couple minutes? Oh, wow. I can abs- did you really go there, Jack? And wow. A did you, Sasha? He just did that, yeah. not me. Yeah, right? Sasha. Yeah. Yes, sir. Wow. Coming from him. Mm-hmm. Need wow. I say more? Wow. Proceed. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this plant in, in Spartanburg employs 10,000 people mm-hmm. and has the ability, fully ramped up, to build 450,000 units. That's almost double the average assembly plant. Yes, sir, it is. Yeah. 10,000 people, and they're going to add another 1,000 in the next three years. Okay, so this has got to be a pretty big place then. 4.4 million square feet under roof. And how big is their parking lot? Who knows? Huge. If you're parking 10,000 cars? And just out of curiosity, this is a question I've always wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. From the time it rolls off the line until it gets to the truck transport, Mm -hmm. how long does it sit in that parking lot? Um, it really depends on where it's going, and where, and it's actually called a marshalling yard, is what you're talking yep. about, which is different from the employee parking lot. Correct. Um, let me throw this at you. Um, when they started, and this plant's been there now for over 24 years, um, when they opened the plant in 1994, it employed 500 people, and now 10,000. Um, here's what they say. A 2017 University of South Carolina study finds that for every 10 jobs that are directly generated in that BMW facility, an additional 90 jobs are created elsewhere in the United States as a direct result. Wow. Yeah. You and I had talked about throughput and multiplication and how many times. How many many times does the average dollar change hands? Mm -hmm. Um, Purchasing from that plant for just that plant last year, $6 billion dollars. From 300 U.S. supplier companies. That is a lot of money. Yes, sir. And I bring it up because a lot of times people don't realize, you know, and oh, the X5 is not made anywhere else in the world. It's made here. It's only made in Spartanburg, South Carolina. However, only 33% of that car is manufactured. It's assembled here in the United States, absolutely. But only 33% of that car in its entirety is actually made in America, which means that for that car that they're exporting to the rest of the world, just under 70% of it, they're having to import the parts. Um, Two points. Number one, Mm -hmm. um, you're quoting from the American Automobile Labeling Act. Oh, look at 
you knowing where the information's yeah. at? Um, which does not does not include the cost of final assembly. It does not. It does not include um, the that value, which is substantial, right but there. That's uh, not what it's Wait a minute. About. Wait a minute. Because that that is we talked about the difference between the shortcomings in that law and the other index we talked about, the American Made Index, which does account for it and skews that. To include the American impact, which is what you're trying to explain. Um, by the way, Sasha, mm. where is the engine and transmission made for that vehicle? Since Depends. you're looking it up. What engine? Um, what You don't have more than two engines for that vehicle, do you? I don't know. I don't know the Emmet. Yeah, but it should say it. If you're there Googling that information under mm-hmm. the act, it should tell you. So why don't you tell us? It does not say that on this list. Okay. That's a question. Because typically... Uh, the most expensive parts of the vehicle are mm-hmm. the engine and transmission. Mm-hmm. Typically, if they're American-made, that would create more value, even if some of the parts were imported elsewhere. Again, my point in this is not specifically the engine or transmission. But it is. My point in this but it is. at only 33% being American-made, that is just shy of 70% of that vehicle coming from other countries. Yes. Which even if the engine and transmission are made here, that means everything else is coming from elsewhere, which are going to be impacted by the tariffs. Ah, you do realize that Jack's truck's only 65% American made. Again, comparative argumentation is not comparative, a way to... Comparative, though. Comparative, though. The U.S., I'm sorry, the global... Automotive assembly complex is, in fact, global. I know that. And there is no it, such thing as American made anymore. I disagree with you. We've proven that with the last couple of weeks where we talked about um, the American made index. And we found, in fact, that there are some vehicles that have a very high content. So, But are they American made, though? Yes, they Did are. Did anybody have 100%? I'm just no. curious. Oh, and you're not going to find anyone, including exactly. domestic manufacturers. Exactly. So as far as the government is concerned, if you're up around 75%, they consider it domestically made because most of the parts and most and the engine and transmission are made here. Which, again, when it says U.S., that is U.S. and Canada. Thank you. Again, why we talked about the other index last week. Mm-hmm. We're never going to solve this, people. <laughs> uh, next up, topic A. DUI interlocks save lives. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. the background for a special showing of the latest creations of Italy's top fashion designers. Sharing the spotlight is the 1961 Ford, honored for its classic styling and authority, the Centro per l'Alta Moda Italiana. Observe how beautifully expresses the classic Ford look, how the sparkling sweep of the new rear deck is boldly punctuated by the big circle taillights. Now, the serene beauty of the Villa Borghese Gardens sets the scene for another Ford fashion first. The cool, clean profile of the 61 Galaxy. 
Its distinctive Thunderbird roof marks it as unmistakably, absolutely Ford. As does the straight classic line of the front fender and the crisp, fresh front end design. Amid the enchanting fountains of Villa d'Este, Ford presents its newest top-down creation, the 1961 Sunliner, a new classic among convertibles. This is the Rome of high fashion, the Rome of the 1961 Ford, beautifully built to take care of itself, beautifully proportioned to the classic Ford look. The 61 Ford is on display in your Ford dealer showroom now. I only have one question, people. Do I have to bring in security to separate you two? What? Between the breaks, folks, <laughs> these two were going at it. Almost to the point where I left the room because I didn't want to be here when the melee started. What? Melee? And by the way, you're listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Go on, sir. <laughs> Who is still here and in one piece and able to continue with his show. Isn't that something? Oh, my. I left him unscathed. This time. Rick, I'd, be, I'd be worried if I was you. I'm not worried. <laughs> I am so not worried. Because, you know, I am the talent. He's oh, the talent. Oh, here we go. Right. Hey, you know, just got to pull rank occasionally. Uh, regular listeners know how road, how the Roadworthy Drive crew feels about drinking and driving. Don't do it. If you think um, that we are passionate about a lot of things, you're right. We are. But we're exceptionally passionate about that drinking and driving is a choice. You know, you really, like the man said, don't do it. There's just no reason. And the gentleman across from me got to witness that last Christmas or the A couple of Christmases before. ago, but that's not the only time. And the number of times through my life I have had to follow a drunk driver or call the police because of one. It was, I wish that was the only time, but unfortunately it has not been. Yep. And, and there's really no excuse for it, and particularly not today. Designated driver, Uber, Lyft. Sleep it off. Taxi um, cab. Friend. Anything. And in fact, here in our community, over the holiday, a towing company offered to tow your car and give you a ride home. Sasha, didn't Free. you tell us last Christmas that there was also an attorney either here or someplace else that was offering All rides? All over the United States. I was putting together a piece, and I'm really hoping that I'll be able to do it this year for New Year's. All over this country. Um, law firms, uh, especially like the, the, uh, I talked to one attorney. He was amazing. He actually started it in his area, um, that he basically, uh, gives rides to people that a bar or, um, if you were drinking at somebody's party, they could call a certain hotline and the cab company would come out and pick you up and they just bill him directly. Um, he talks about in the first early years that he himself was sitting there at the phones. And he would be sending, you know, and then he would actually call the companies. I mean, it was, it's an amazing thing. I know for me personally, I don't go in situations that would enable a drunk driver. Like, oh, come see our fill-in-the-blank demonstration and enjoy free, you know, wine and so on and so forth while mm -hmm. we give this demonstration. In any case, um, for those people who uh, didn't heed that advice and uh, ended up, being convicted of driving under the influence. There are other expenses and procedures they have to follow in order to drive, and an interlock is one example. Um, a report recently by the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety um, talked about laws passed that require an interlock. Um, here's what they said. Laws requiring 
all impaired driving offenses to install alcohol interlocks reduced the number of impaired drivers and fatal crashes by 16%. If all states without such laws adopted them, 500 more people could be saved each and every year. Okay, Ken, can you explain for our listeners what is an interlock and what does it do? An alcohol interlock is a device attached to the ignition of your vehicle uh, that you are required to blow into in order. Basically, it's a portable breathalyzer. If you don't pass, it don't start. Okay, now, with that, if you don't pass it, Mm-hmm. Does it report it someplace? No, well, that depends on the state. Okay. Here's something you should know. The in-vehicle breath testing units require a blood alcohol concentration below a certain level, usually between 0.02 and 0.04 before the vehicle can be started. It's important to note, and we've talked about it here, yep. that you are impaired starting at 0.01 even though the legal standard for being under the influence is 0.08. And these breathalyzers, these, these what they call blowers or these uh, interlocks, mm-hmm. have a standard that's half to a fourth of the legal limit. Okay. Now, is there any state right now that is contemplating going lower than 0.08? Uh, we talked about Utah. Yes. And okay. I believe it was 0.03, 0.05. It was, it was somewhere lower. Mm-hmm. And uh, I commended him for it. Uh, because honestly, um, the state did not say you can't drink. They didn't say that. They said, we don't want you drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. I, I've seen the effects of what happens when people do it. And if you happen to be one of a family member, a friend who lost somebody to that particular drunk driver because of that particular example or that particular decision they made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You explain it to them how your friend, your family member, your spouse, your child got killed now is, and say that it's too tough is the law basically set by each state by or, each state or there are no federal no, no there are no federal no laws and that's part of the problem because should, should there be a federal mandate absolutely uh, you know normally i would say it but we're in a we're in a society now that if anything hates more federal laws and this is really one for the states because i can really make an argument from state to state tradition background, uh, type of terrain, uh, it's different. Uh, and there are some states don't, in fact, the majority of states don't require any kind of interlock. And I hate to say it uh, unless you've been convicted or in a fatal accident. Other than that, they don't require it. We happen to be in a state like that. I guess what I'm asking, Ken, I didn't, I apparently didn't ask it right, but should the federal government set the .08 or .05 or 4 law? Again, I, I really think this is one of those times I think it really is a state issue. There's okay. too many – to me, there's too many different aspects that are, are very local and very specific. And I think it should be at least state level. But I think all states should do it. We have a whole number of states that don't. And there are people dying that shouldn't. And, in fact, there are some states that say if you're convicted at all – You need to have an interlock system and prove it before you can get your license back. And I'm all for that. Coming up next, reckless driving in the law. There may be consequences depending on where you live. This is Roadworthy Drive.
Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. Okay, Sasha, how many times do I have to tell you, bring the car back? <laughs> Apparently, she still thinks that uh, Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a video game. That was not allowed in my house, by the way. Still isn't. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, but, that, that's why she's taking it literally. Yeah, right. but this one can get her 10 to 20 in the clink. Absolutely. That's true. Um, welcome to the second part of this very intense and emotionally charged hour. Of Roadworthy Drive, I'm Ken Chester, your host. For those of you who have not yet discovered the show website, I got to tell you, you're truly missing some uh, video clips, audio clips of past shows, pictures, and information about your favorite Roadworthy Drive crew members. And it's all there. And for the record, Sasha believes that she's your favorite. Just like I am your favorite. Know. Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're so pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You in the song, Jack. Yeah, no, no, no. He's no. over there twirling no, his... No, no, don't do that. I don't have it. Thank you. <laughs> for those of you who liked us on Facebook, Sasha has a special treat just for you. We've launched a Facebook-only video show that you can only find on Wednesdays. And I'm going to let Sasha tell you a little more about it. Well, y- you guys have got to bear with me. Um, we're just getting it started, and basically I confiscate what's it called sasha it is called wheels of non-consent bring it mm. back <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> yeah she doesn't understand here's, the non-consent here's part. my problem yes sir if for some reason you don't bring it back the authorities are called now it means i've got to do your job and i'm still confused on social media <laughs> well i think that the job would do itself then because we would be a national no, I mean, uh, several of us would news. be in jail. What? Yeah. They, they, they Not ca- me. Yeah. They Some kinda... R&B artists made their best records while in prison. That might be, but it's my signature on the release. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Bring so it back anyway, anyway. Anyway, while they're trying to give me a bad rap for this, um, my goal was to give people a real-life representation and understanding of what's available out there on the automotive market. As far as tech goes, yeah, I see you. As far as tech goes uh what does your dollar actually get you at the end of the day a payment shush well we know we get a payment but the other thing too is if you have not bought a car in the last five years you will not recognize the amount of technology that is in that car you know what and interesting that you say that um one of the reasons why we decided to get this going is that now according to at least four different articles that we found people now are making the choice because their clunker is no longer, it's past the age of duct tape. They can't take it to a car wash because it will literally fall apart. Who's hating on duct tape? Stop it. And My favorite repair tool. I know that's right. Just saying. Um, so people are going to make the investment here pretty soon. Yep. And automakers understand this. So people like, you know, I'll raise my hand, like me. I didn't recognize half of the tech that was in here. Um, and I want to be that voice that I'm talking to them, what their money can buy them. Steep learning curve. Right. Uh-huh. So anyway, again, I do teasers throughout the week, but Wednesday is the big debut where I do the full um, where I do the full review of the car that I get to drive this week. It is called Wheels of Non-Consent. Make sure to like us on Facebook so you'll get the alerts when I do it. We're trying to work out whether I do it live or versus like an actual tape recording. Yeah. 
Otisink is not cute. Yeah, it's not cute. The uh-uh. last two. So tune in to find out what exactly how Sasha's going to do it because you're not going to want to miss it. And you got to like us on Facebook so you can be informed when she's going to be available. So that's Wheels of Non-Consent. Uh, our own Sasha is doing it. And we're hoping it's simply borrow and not like keeping it. So just a hint, Sasha. Just a heads up. You know, we need them back. Wheels of Non-Consent. Okay. Reckless driving. Can you define what it means, Jack, Sasha? Yes. What does that mean? Yes. Okay. What's it mean? My definition, as I understand it, it means mm-hmm. that you are driving erratically and endangering other people. Mm-hmm. Well, looked at a study uh, by WalletHub, and they've analyzed penalties for speeding and reckless driving across in each of the 50 U.S. states and the District of Columbia across 12 key metrics. Now, their data set ranges from what speeds are automatically considered reckless drivings to how many speeding tickets it takes to earn an automatic license suspension. Um, What is the strictest state on speeding and reckless driving, you think? New York or California. Nope. Sasha, care to guess? I'm going to say New York. No. No? No. Almost smallest state in the union, Delaware. Wow. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. The most liberal state, or I should say the most lenient state on speeding and reckless driving. California. No. Who? Texas. Okay, I can see that. All right. Um, What do you think the highest cost for a reckless driving ticket would be? Reckless driving. What state and how much? I can't tell you the state, but probably a couple grand. Sasha? I'm going to say the state is California. No. Oregon, $6,250, which is 62-point times higher than Kentucky, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Ohio. The state's at the lowest at 100 bucks. Does it tell you what you have to do to get that fine? Um, It depends on how they define that, and I'm going to talk about Delaware in a hot minute. Okay. Um, Alaska has the highest additional cost for car insurance after one speeding ticket. After okay. one? Yeah. Care to guess by what percent? 50? No. 25? No. What? 65.24%. Wow. 27 times higher than even in New Hampshire, the state with the lowest at 2.42%. Now, this is not surprising to me, having driven this other state. Uh, Illinois. One speeding ticket, one, has the highest impact towards suspension of your license, 133% most likely in Illinois. Are you telling me one speeding ticket in Illinois, they're going to suspend your license? Quite possible. And here's the thing. In our state, we have what you call reciprocity with Illinois. I know this, unfortunately, by personal experience. Now, in our state, if you're 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, uh, the officer has some choices. He can impound your car. He can arrest you. Uh, or he can write you a ticket. In either case, in this case, 20 miles an hour of the speed limit in our state automatically uh, triggers a DOT review of your uh, driving um, privileges. And they may dictate either class or they'll suspend your license. And if they suspend your license in our state... It's called the High Risk Insurance Pool. SR-22. SR-22, which is two to three times higher than regular insurance. And two things. You've got to do it 
if you want your license back after paying $200 to the DOT on top of that, you must carry the insurance. It must not lapse, and you can't miss a payment. Three years. Wow. Otherwise, you are not getting it back. And I'm about to say, also in our state, if, you, if you're caught doing 10 miles and under, um, it does not go on your record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, for the first two tickets, ticket number three, it counts. Yep. So that's just here. Um, it's interesting to note uh, that the rules are that wide, depending on the state, depending on the wording of the law. Uh, but as they say, let's be careful out there. Uh, last up, the new rules of hot rodding. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Go to RoadworthyDrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. Thank you for riding with us for this hour. This is the last segment of this week's visit together. Of course, this is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester. During this hour, we've talked about DWI interlocks and reckless driving. The last topic of discussion, we're changing, changing a little bit, something a little more positive, clean your palate. Um, the new rules of hot rodding. Hot rodding. I bet just the mention of the term puts you in mind of the cut and channeled 32 Ford Coupes fenderless, topless, and loud cars, projects in your neighbor's garage that they've probably been wrenching on seemingly forever. And maybe you, if you're a certain age, may have had or perhaps even now have a project like that in your own garage or driveway. You may not have realized it, but surely and slowly, some of the rules of hot rodding have changed. Okay, Ken, for me, define what a hot rod means ah and that is that is actually the crux of the question and that is exactly what's changing now the traditionalists would have told you that it was probably a pre-war car typically the 32 ford coupe was a popular one yes it is that they cut lowered channeled you know just gave it a very low profile uh removed the fenders put in a big engine you know and that was the thing um a lot of Hot rodding really got its start in Southern California after the war as GIs came back uh, with all these skills and started tinkering around and racing these things. Okay, but now, if I remember correctly, um, you get into the 50s, the 60s, the 70s with the muscle cars. Yeah, but those are not hot rods, per se. Well, but that definition gets used in those terms. Yeah, but incorrectly. Um, Let me give you a little background. According to... Uh, the Specialty Manufacturers Equipment Association, or SEMA, um, the hot rod niche has seen significant growth in recent years and is currently estimated to be worth $1.26 billion, with a B, dollars a year. Wow. And that's back in 2017. And the thing is, it's gaining global momentum. Now, this article from SEMA asked the same question you did. What exactly is a hot rod? And uh, one of the fellas who's uh, involved in the industry, a journalist in the industry, 
um, kind of gives you a generic response. And his quote, and it's a quote, you'll know it when you see it. That uh, doesn't work for me. I understand that. Someone at Hot Rod Magazine once said, at one point he thought a hot rod was any four-wheeled vehicle that was modified. Now, that's probably the widest explanation, but you can also consider a tuner car as a late model hot rod. So depending on who you talk to, you get a slightly different answer. But I, I will tell you this. Um, the good guys, Rod and Custom Association, the guys that have the mm-hmm. every year here. That we right. just had a couple weeks yeah. ago. Starting last fall, their standards in 2018, they would raise the eligibility for participating vehicles in most of its events to 1987 or earlier. Okay. That's up considerable. Yeah, it was usually late 60s, early 70s was the cutoff. Now, that change came from years of careful consideration and guidance from the association's audience. And they feel the more the merrier. Uh, The more people want to modify a vehicle instead of spending money on a guitar, a video game, or motorcycle, if they're in our niche here, I think the hobby welcomes them all. And that was the journalist talking about that. Now, um, the traditional hot rods that I talked about earlier that looked as much as possible like the immediate post-World War II cars. But they said now it seems that the rules and styles have loosened up a little bit, and they don't seem to follow that formula as closely. Now, with the baby boomers... Uh, They're looking at today's 40- and 50-year-olds grew up in the 70s and 80s cars, Mm -hmm. and that's what you're starting to look at. Also, a lot of the vehicles that were preferable, there's only so many 32 Fords, most of them are gone. Uh, Scrappage programs, like after during World War II, where a lot of those pre-war cars got crushed and recycled, Mm -hmm. they're not so much anymore. So what you're looking at now is you're looking at, you talked about muscle cars. Uh, That's one um, from the 60s and early 70s. And uh, what they call, what the industry is calling oddball cars, uh, their words, they're not all Camaros. Uh, you might see station wagons, a four-door, or something like that that you I, wouldn't typically see. I will tell you, my brother, who lives down in Kansas City, mm-hmm. we go down a couple years This is a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. We go down. He says, Jack, come out to the garage with me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what does he want to talk to me about? I walk out there, and my mouth hits the floor. What's he got? What did he find? A 1966 Oldsmobile 98, the same color that my parents bought in 1966. Mm-hmm. In mint condition. Mm-hmm. I just about went, oh, my goodness. Where did you come up with that? Oh, I found it on eBay in Florida. I just had it shipped up here. Yeah. Like, wow. Now, here's the bombshell for you. Remember, we're talking about hot rods. Right. All across the automotive industry now, trucks are fashionable. And the hot rod segment, no exception. Uh, one of the major manufacturers that provide parts to these guys, um, they're a licensed manufacturer of 47 to 53 and 55 to 59 Chevrolet truck bodies, as well as a retail and build shop. They said it's a good time to be a truck specialist since the niche has been hot for the last several years. This fella, his name, uh, Robert Logsdon, expects that the next popular series of hot rod trucks will be the 1967 to 1972 Chevy truck. And their company is currently prototyping those bodies for hot rodders. And I can tell a you a truck. And I can tell you something a friend of mine had a 60. 
seven or a 69 Chevy truck, and she absolutely would have loved to have restored that. Now, let me go a little. find the parts for it. But let me go further. That's changing now. Okay. The square body truck is becoming very popular. Well, if you remember from about the mid-70s to the mid-80s, your GM and Chevrolet trucks were pretty square. Yep. Those are the ones getting popular. In fact, about three years ago, I saw a 1985 GMC half-ton pickup at a car show. Really? Original equipment. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. But think about it. If you're out in the rural communities where there were work trucks upon work trucks, they're inexpensive. You can get them and trick them out anyway, lower them, cut them, chop them, drop a big motor in there. The big thing now with hot rodders is towards comfort. They want disc brakes. They want powerful engines. They want air conditioning, power windows, um, they different want, things. They want the technology we have now. They want the old look, but they want the new car reliability. There yeah. you go. That's what's going on. And these guys who work in this field uh, admit it. Uh, all the kind of crazy stuff. They mention this. Consumers are interested in features, air conditioning, power locks, windows, steering. Also looking at push button, start, stop, backup cameras, and interior touchscreen controls in a hot rod. <laughs> another hour, another end. Hope you enjoyed the ride because I know we sure did. For Jack, Sasha, and the Roadworthy Drive crew, I'm Ken Chester. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next week. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.